right, let's get started. So I'm here today with Frank from the Rubicon Project. Um, and Frank is um, very secretive about what he's been doing and, and won't tell anyone, including me. And hopefully today he's going to tell us a little bit what's happening in uh, his project and in the advertising and some of the other stuff. Um, Frank, do you want to maybe um, start off, just tell us a little bit about you and your, your background and then um, a little bit about your company? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so the Rubicon Project is actually my sixth company. Uh, of my five uh, prior companies, I've been through uh, two acquisitions, uh, one IPO, uh, one failure, or as I like to call it, a, a character-building experience. Uh, and then my last company uh, was Strongmail Systems, a company that I self-funded here in Los Angeles, uh, moved up to Silicon Valley a few years ago, uh, raised uh, some capital from Sequoia Capital. About $30 million has been put into the company so far, and uh, the company is uh, still growing Growing well, growing strong. Uh, I moved back down to uh, Los Angeles um, about a year ago and uh, reconnected with the team from my third company, uh, which is the company that I took public. I was uh, L90 Ad Monitor. Um, uh, if you don't recall the company, uh, we were in the advertising space. Uh, when we started, we were the seventh horse in the seventh horse race. Uh, DoubleClick was the... Was the uh, a thousand-pound gorilla in the in the space, um, and uh, within a couple of short years, we actually became the number two player in the space behind DoubleClick. We had about three thousand customers, delivered about eight billion ads a month for those three thousand customers, uh, which reached about sixty-five percent of the internet. Uh, we took that company public, raised one hundred twenty million dollars in our IPO, a uh, half billion dollar market cap at its peak, and then DoubleClick uh, acquired it. So when I reconnected with the team that uh, that developed uh, that product and that platform for me, uh, we were just looking around at the advertising space and realized that not a whole lot has changed in the past seven years. Uh, there's just been a you know, an overall lack of innovation uh, applied to the space, and we saw that you know while it's a, an incredibly large market, the 27 billion dollar market in the U.S. alone, uh, it's an incredibly inefficient one. Um, best way that I sort of uh, characterize it is it's sort of like the Stock market without a without a Nasdaq system. So we uh, we saw two trends um, occurring. Uh, one was that the uh, website publishers uh, were underserved, uh, lack of technology that uh, really exists for them. Um, and two was that we saw uh, this trend of uh, a growing number of ad networks coming into the space. You know, when I was in the space seven years ago, there were 15 ad networks. A year ago, there were 100, uh, and today there are over 300 ad networks. Um, some of those are focused on you know, very uh, niche areas of, of the market, like there's a women's ad network, a sports ad network, uh, a gay ad network. Uh, there are now networks in India and China and Japan. Um, many of these didn't exist many years ago. So what we're doing here at the Rubicon Project is um, uh, developing a service for website publishers to better monetize their unsold um, or remnants uh, ad space. And the way we're doing that is we're actually uh, pulling, together, pulling together and aggregating uh, these 300 ad networks that exist uh, on one side, uh, so giving them you know, fuller access to the market. And then on the other side, uh, we've got technology that really deciphers the publisher inventory uh, based on demographic, geographic, and contextual information, uh, then understands the strengths of these networks and essentially matches up um, ad impressions with the networks that are best able to, to monetize it. So um, would it be fair to say that what you're doing is along the lines of what Blue Lithium uh, is doing and was just got, they, I think they got acquired by Yahoo? 
Uh, no, actually, uh, Blue Lithium um, it does a fantastic job with uh, behavioral targeting, and uh, Blue Lithium is, is another ad network. Uh, we're finding that um, publishers are working with you know, Blue Lithium, Dakota, 24-7 Media. They're using Google AdSense. Uh, they're using all these services, and each of these ad networks you know, certainly have their strengths. Um, and what we're doing is we're allowing the publishers to be able to work with all these ad networks, but work with them much more efficiently. Uh, more, more efficiently. So if uh, you know, Blue Lithium has certain strengths, uh, they might get more of the publisher inventory um, where they're going to be successful. Uh, but if Blue Lithium, as an example, doesn't have any advertisers in Mexico, it doesn't matter how good their technology is, they're not going to be able to monetize that inventory in Mexico. Whereas if we can siphon that off and send that over to ad networks uh, who are in Mexico or focus on you know, the Mexico market, such as you know, Latin 3 or Hispanoclick, um, yeah, that's uh, you know, win-win for, for everybody. The publisher is now able to monetize inventory that they were you know, normally not able to just you know, simply because of the areas of focus of, of a certain ad network. Okay, so you, you're basically what you're saying is that the, the CPA arena, there's been these mass CPA networks like CPA Empire, um, Clickbooth, um, Rextopia, Primary Ads, that are, and Hydra, that are mass mass CPA networks, just general general interest offers. The next progression from that, and then is these niche CPA networks that are focused around like there's a BizOff network, there's a Hispanic network, there's national networks. And what you're then helping those guys do is saying, okay, uh, the the Australia CPA network, they're going to be the best at this in Australia, and we're going to make it easy for you to aggregate your inventory with us, and and so you can be the best in Australia. We'll, we'll then bring in international advertisers that want that Australia traffic and can monetize that better than anyone. Is that, is that, would that be correct? Uh, yeah, that's part of it. Uh, it's not just focused on CPA. It's CPA, CPM, CPC, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're, we're, you know, taking this publisher inventory, um, you know, breaking it up into about 9,000 different micro segments. Mm-hmm. So it could be female sports enthusiasts in New York. And we're going to, uh, you know, use our technology to go out and figure out, you know, which ad network is going to do the best job monetizing these female sports enthusiasts in New York. It could be 24-7 media uh, this week because they might have a big ad buy with uh, women's Nike stores. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, if two weeks from now that big ad buy moves over to Aquantive, then Aquantive might do a better job monetizing that particular micro-segment. So you never know what's going to cause a particular ad network to uh, to do better or worse on a particular uh, piece of inventory. And what we're just doing is uh, kind of you know, creating this you know, free flow market where um, if networks perform on certain inventory, they get more of it. Um, and if they're not performing on certain inventory, then we'll go you know, allocate that inventory to networks that do perform well on it. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's interesting. So that has the potential to really shake up the industry. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's uh, it's the industry today is shaken up. Um, you know, there's there's constant churn of you know advertisers uh, moving money around with different ad networks. Uh, you know, today they're spending money uh, amongst 300 ad networks. You know, again, seven years ago it was 15 ad networks. Um, so you know, some of course they're spending more with, some of course they're spending less with. Um, but there's more money being spread around in more places, and that creates more confusion um, for the for the publishers. And in order for publishers to really maximize the value of their ad space, they've got to be able to connect to all the funding sources. Now, the second piece of this equation that's 
that's challenging for the ad networks themselves is that they've got constant churn in their business. Again, it used to be seven years ago where uh, the ad networks went off and you know, established uh, either exclusive or semi-exclusive relationships with the publishers. Right. Those days are over, as you know. Um, so today it's not uncommon for a publisher to work with you know, 5, 10, 15, or you know, we've seen even as much as 30 ad networks. And uh, what that's doing is it's causing a lot of volatility for the ad networks, and um, it's uh, creating a lot of churn in their business. So they're constantly trying to maintain this balance of advertiser dollars and buys um, versus inventory to be able to fulfill it. And what we're doing is actually, I'd say, you know, stabilizing um, that equation, uh, not necessarily shaking it, shaking more it up. That because, I mean, at least, and I can talk more to the CPA side, of, I mean, uh, right now is that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of CPA networks that have guys running around selling that inventory, <laughs> um, and there's, it's a lot of a lot of stuff that's relationship driven. You know, there's this there's this mutual trust and all of this kind of stuff. And what you're talking about doing then is commoditizing that and saying, okay, the relationship's there. But at the end of the day, most people pay. Um, most of the offers work reasonably well. We're gonna we're gonna and we're just gonna split test them all. And and whoever's performing the best will do the best. So potentially, um, all of the advertisers at uh, a, lot, a lot of the CPA networks with all of their um, employees or their affiliate managers uh, could all lose their jobs by what you're doing because it'll be automated. You'll, you'll be automating the entire process. Does that sound correct? Yes, we are automating the process, but I don't necessarily agree with the statement that, that it's commoditizing it. I think you know, com- commoditization occurs when, when a market is saturated. Mm-hmm. And I think right now we, we have just the opposite problem. I think we see that... Uh, you know, 80% of all the ad inventory on on the internet goes unsold, uh, and that's what's going to these ad networks today. Right. And the ad networks themselves, uh, when they get a piece of inventory from a publisher, mm-hmm. um, they're not able to successfully sell all of it. So there's a portion of it that they sell, and then there's a, a large portion of it that they don't sell, and that's where a lot of these guys are going and arbitraging that on the on the back end. Um, it, they're doing this um, just because they don't want to lose access to that inventory, um, and they don't want to just you know go throw that that inventory in the trash. Uh, so I think what we're doing is is really making it more more efficient. And in this case, you know, ad networks will get more of the inventory that they're successful with. So if they're driving high CPMs on, say, uh, female traffic in the United States, mm-hmm. then they'll get more of that. And if they're not really focused or doing a good job on male traffic in the United States, they'll get less of that. So when the effective CPM comes back to the publisher from a particular network, um, you know, they're doing a better job with the in areas that they're more successful, uh, which means that the ad network is able to go drive more dollars from their advertisers, mm-hmm. which of course you know ultimately benefits the publishers. Um, but I think it's it's really just making that that process more. So more efficient, and I think we're a long way from away from you know worrying about commoditization. Well, and I'm not I'm not saying that losing jobs is a bad thing. I, I I've actually thought that this sort of uh, efficiency. I, I I think that a lot of the ad networks will be out of business in the next five years in 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 terms of the way they operate today because a lot of it, a lot of it is relationship driven and it is going to be automated. And and what you're talking about sounds like a very logical way to automate it. So I'm 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 a, I'm a proponent. I think there should be more efficiency in the system. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not definitely yeah, I think I think just like uh, like any space, they're going to find um, you know areas where they can create more value add. Right. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of that happen today. 
you mentioned Blue Lithium. Uh, they're developing you know, fantastic uh, behavioral targeting technology to you know, better convert for the advertisers. Right. Um, other folks, uh, you know, like some of these CPA folks, are uh, you know doing a good job, um, you know, post-click to uh, you know, turn clicks into you know, higher quality leads. And so, what you're talking about then is, let's say um, we've got a, we've got um, a site that has a, a range of demographics that hasn't it hasn't been working particularly well anywhere. You can then bring in a bunch of these niche targeting niche ad networks, aggregate them all. Each of the niche ad networks can then do their thing really well. Whether it's and I mean the slices could get really thin. It could be 30 to 35 year old males. It could be 16 to 18 year old males. It could become all sorts of combinations. And and your your system will then place put in place the ad network that is doing the best job at finding at filling that inventory. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Another piece of this is really uh, uh, frequency. So today, it's it's really difficult for uh, for publishers to slice up their inventory, uh, you know, down into these different micro segments to start. And two, it's hard for them to you know balance multiple networks to satisfy that inventory. So again, you know, advertisers are spending money in, in multiple places. Again, sometimes more with some and less with others. Uh, but if if Gatorade, say, is doing a buy in, in multiple places through multiple ad networks, uh, let's just take three ad networks as an example. Say Gatorade spent $10. You know, they spent $3 with network A, uh, $2 with network, network B, and $5 with network C. Um, what we're able to do is allow a publisher to tap into all three of those ad networks, and maybe they get a dollar from each of those ad networks. Um, now they've made $3, whereas if they were just working with one of the ad networks, they just got a dollar. And, and in the previous example, if they're working with just that one ad network, it's all—it's not automated either. And you, but you've automated that entire process. All they've done is stuck your JavaScript on the page, and then it's tested and optimized it. Right, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, the the work to reward ratio uh, quickly um, you know, decreases uh, as I should say uh, increases um, you know, as as publishers are working with more networks because that just means you know, more tags. Uh, more deals that they need to go traffic and optimize. Um, the way they're managing this stuff today is typically with, with Excel spreadsheets. So they're doing it very holistically and not at a very granular level. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that would be, it's a, it's a management nightmare to, to work with multiple networks, especially even talking about, you know, dealing with different tags and the tag translation and the implementation, et cetera. And you're absolutely right. With our system, they basically uh, take one tag, and either insert it directly onto their page if they don't have an ad server, mm-hmm. or if they do have an ad server, we essentially just get inserted into that ad server as a default, you know, unsold or remnant campaign. So and let what we're doing is connecting connecting them to all the ad networks on the backend. So, so let me ask then, um, how do you know? What's the incentive for everybody to sign up? I mean, how do we know that Blue Lithium isn't in fact doing mostly this today? Um, and it's just as their their base of advertisers and networks grow, then they'll do this better. Uh, well, first, first we actually don't uh, we don't need the ad networks to sign up. Um, what we're essentially doing is providing this management service on behalf of the publishers. Mm-hmm. So if the publishers are working with these ad networks or want to work with these real, uh, ad networks, um, we're just facilitating that relationship and making it more efficient. So it is completely transparent. Every ad network works knows every publisher that's working with them, and vice versa. Um, 
having said that, uh, we could do a better job uh, for both the ad networks and the publishers if we do have a relationship with them. And we actually are going out there and establishing relationships with a number of uh, ad networks. Uh, today, actually, we've got relationships with 25 ad networks, um, ranging from uh, services like AdBright mm -hmm. to uh, uh, ad networks like Dakota um, and Hispanoclick. Um, in, in that case, uh, what we're able to do is uh, get much more uh, granular you know, tag information from the ad networks, um, and what we're able to do is essentially do a better job matching uh, so we could, again, bring them more in the inventory that they're successful with. Isn't this just a form of behavioral targeting? I mean, effectively, by having someone like Dakota sign up, aren't you saying that, well, you're, you're doing behavioral targeting, but so are we, but we just happen to be better at it? Uh, we are... We are adding information uh, to Dakota, so we're we are labeling the publisher inventory. Um, it's not just behavioral. I mean, some of it's you know, based on geographic information, some of it's based on contextual. So we do use a combination of uh, geographical, demographic, and contextual information to sort of pre-label and pre-sort that inventory. Um, we are not by any means uh, replacing the technology that these behavioral targeting companies have or um, or any other technology for that matter. They're still still able to to uh, to leverage it. But at the end of the day, um, the ad networks are are only going to be as successful as the advertisers that they have within that network and the amount of ad dollars that they have coming from those advertisers. So you know again, as long as advertisers are spending money in multiple places, I think it you know, supports the fact that publishers need to now connect to multiple multiple places to uh, to reach as many of the ad dollars as possible. So I get the point about the sign-ups. Um, what I'm what I guess I'm not completely understanding, and if you can bear with my my slowness on this, is the the, the actual targeting side of it. Is is your targeting side of this different to what uh, companies like Blue Lithium and Dakota are doing today? Because um, as I understand it, those guys are saying, well, you know, we know this guy is a 26-year-old male. Um, his, his IP address says that he's in the state of Florida. Um, you know, we know these other three things about him that we've gathered over a period of time. Therefore, we're going to show this ad inventory. I mean, there's, there's certainly some overlap, uh, but we are, you know, by no means looking to replace those technologies. Um, those technologies, uh, at the end of the day, do a better job converting for the advertisers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly they have some benefit to the publishers, um, but, you know, what they're doing is they're looking through and sorting through inventory and trying to figure out how can, you know, Dakota or Blue Lithium do a better job converting for the advertisers that exist within their networks. Right. Um, one thing I should have mentioned is that uh, it, from a from a technical standpoint, we don't serve any ads, so there's no creatives actually put into our system. Um, what we are is sort of a, uh, a really you know smart or intelligent um, you know, traffic manager. So uh, in a typical deployment, um, if somebody in, somebody would insert you know our tags as their default campaign, um, their default remnant campaign into their ad server. Uh, what happens at that point is the ad impression gets redirected to our service. We go and analyze that that impression based on that you know, demographic, contextual, and uh, geographical information. Um, we are you know, constantly analyzing the strengths of each of the ad networks, and what we do is we make a decision. 
So as an impression comes in, we say, which network do we think is best able to monetize this impression? What we do is we actually redirect that impression to that network. So at the end of the day, if it's Blue Lithium, they are serving the end ad and they're you know leveraging all their behavioral um, and you know, other technology to, uh, to serve it and pick the ads. Let me let me see if I let me see if I've got it now. So what you're then you're you're a, a meta service as 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 the explanation is. It's it's not so much about behavior or any of these other kinds of targeting. You're taking just everybody's advertisers and you uh, like networks uh, or any kind of network, and then and then you're doing the optimization for the publisher, and then over time you you'll get a feel for and and based on performance data you'll get a feel for. Which networks perform the, the best in, 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 on different publishers' sites? Is that, is that sound like a more accurate summary? Yes, that is, that is accurate. And I think an important distinction here is that we don't, we don't know each of the individual ads. So whatever ads, you know, Blue Lithium or Dakota or you know, Adbright want to serve, it's their technology that's figuring that out. Mm. Our technology is just simply saying, Look, you know, we sent over a piece of inventory. Uh, what did the publisher get in return? And at one point, does that start diminishing? So an example might be, um, you know, we might send over, you know, a million impressions to a particular network throughout the day for, uh, you know, for males looking at travel pages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at some point, um, that network is going to decrease in performance. Uh, might be based on the the ad dollars they have in the system. Might be because they you know, blew out a certain campaign and it's over. So we might start saying you know punch the monkey ads, right. uh, and we know that punch the monkey ads aren't going to convert this high of a CPM. And once that happens, we say okay, well who else do we think can also monetize this, this inventory? So let's send that over to somebody else because um, we'd rather have somebody who's you know who has ad dollars that can monetize this than. Than just you know showing you know that ad network's default punch the monkey ad. So you're not actually doing any any real behavioral targeting at all, are you? Your your, ta- your targeting is just based on on what's on historical data and what's performing. Uh, yeah, you know, t- targeting isn't necessarily the the best word because targeting means, you know, at least in my opinion, um, you know, picking picking an ad you know, to match you know that particular uh, user. Um, we are doing, you know, the analysis and the optimization to say, you know, based on this behavioral information, uh, which which network or networks um, do we think uh, or or will you know, monetize this best? So we're we're doing the analysis, but we're not necessarily targeting the end ad. That's really interesting. So a big part of your what you're doing then is integration with all these things. Like you're you're figuring out how to integrate with AdBright, and you're figuring out how to integrate with um, like a CPA network and maybe Zito and all these others. Does that sound right? Uh, yes, yes. And when we say integrate, you know, part of that is uh, centralizing all the data into one place. Um, a large part of that though is figuring out all the different tag translations. So if we got um, you know 15 different ad tags uh, from a particular network, so maybe one was uh, for sports, another one was for females, another one was for U.S. traffic, um, then what we're doing is we're optimizing those individual tags. That ad network might have you know 15 campaigns behind one tag, mm-hmm. 
Um, but what we're doing is kind of balancing these things and testing them and figuring out how each of these you know, perform in different segments of of traffic. Uh, some networks you know can get very very granular and they'll give us you know 20, 30, 40 tags um, that match very closely to these different micro segments that we're analyzing them against. Um, some networks uh, only have the capability to give you one or two tags, uh, and that in that case we're you know trying to optimize the at a much more you know, holistic or macro level. I really like it. <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, it's uh, it's an easy concept to at least talk about, uh, but it's uh, certainly some pretty sophisticated and complex complex technology in the back end to to make it work. And then, I mean, how when you take it out, to people, how 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 hard is it to get people to sign up for? Uh, well, we haven't launched it yet. Uh, right now, uh, we're bringing on some, some early uh, alpha customers. Uh, we took it out to uh, 50, 50 publishers um, just to get their feedback. And what we found was that uh, 48 of them wanted to, to sign up and use the service right away. So uh, it was a good problem to have, uh, but we're trying to walk before we run. We're trying to turn our you know, early customers into successful case studies. Um, so in terms of, uh, I think, them, you know, seeing the product, seeing the demo, and seeing the, the value, uh, that's been incredibly encouraging. This is... Uh, in terms of implementation, um, you know, typically takes uh, one of our customers about 10 to 15 minutes to get up and running. It's uh, just as easy as implementing, say, Google AdSense on, on your site. So this is uh, 48 out of 50 publishers wanted to sign up right away. Yeah, yeah, and the other two uh, actually had exclusive relationships with uh, with particular uh, ad networks. Will you be doing these as exclusives? Will we be doing this as an exclusive? Is that what you asked? Yeah, will you will you ask publishers to sign any kind of exclusive deal with you for this kind of stuff? No, no, not at all. Hmm. Not at all. We uh, we believe in you're putting our our money where our mouth is, and uh, you know we feel that uh, if we're adding something that's that's of value and we're uh, delivering results to the customers, um, then they'll continue to use us. And if we don't, then they won't. And obviously, once you've got the publishers to sign up, then the advertisers will automatically come come knocking. Uh, the ad networks, yeah. We don't deal direct with advertisers. So you want to do that's with- an important part of our business. Uh, we feel that we just want to be, you know, really effective channel managers and do the best job that we can uh, in helping the ad networks work really well with the publishers. I'm interested. So why would you turn down working with advertisers? Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's just an, an issue of uh, of how we want to build out this business and in channel conflict. Uh, we consider the ad networks uh, our channels. Uh, to to reach the advertisers, um, you know, there's 300 of them. Uh, they're all going out and you know, spending a lot of time, effort, and money uh, building ad sales teams. And we just see that there's you know, there's big inefficiency between the ad networks and the publishers. And if we can help them all work better together, uh, we don't see a need to actually go uh, touch the end advertiser uh, directly. Uh, we just like to supply the the ad networks um, and the tools. Uh, I'm sorry, we want to supply the ad networks with the tools and the information um, that they need to be more successful in working with the advertisers to create more value for the publishers. At least for the first year or two, right? This is my cynical Australian side coming out. 
I mean, what- no, you know, I think I, I think we can go build a successful business doing this. I think it just is something that really requires uh, commitment um, and requires investment. Dude, you know what you're doing. Just, just like if you pull this off, you're gonna, if you if you pull this off, you're going to own internet advertising. We're going to own internet advertising. Yeah, I mean, you 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 could you could potentially have every publisher on the internet signed up for what you're doing. I mean, this is this is pretty powerful what you're talking about here. This isn't trivial. This isn't kid stuff. Well, first, thank you. But uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, we would. I wouldn't say we'd own internet advertising, but. Uh, we would certainly be very happy if uh, you know, every publisher on the internet you know, signed up for for our service, um, and we think that you know really in order for this to work, that's why it's important for us to to work really well with the the ad networks and, and commit to them um, and not compete with them, um, because if we could do that, then then we're solving a big part of the equation for them, which is you know accessing inventory um, and doing so in a very predictable predictable way, and you know, we're dealing with them. You know, everyone from small blogs to to large sites, and a lot of these ad networks don't have the you know capacity to uh, to go out there and you know, manage you know thousands of relationships with 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 the smaller sites. Yeah, but you you are helping them with their inventory, but I mean they know that their job is managing that relationship between an advertiser and a publisher, and by you stepping in, you're you're cutting away half that relationship with the advertiser side, uh, the publisher side, sorry. I don't know if we're cutting it away because we are, again, you're being very transparent about the whole thing. So they do, they do have control over, you know, which publishers they work with. Um, they do have the same, same rights and interests that they do today in terms of, you know, content and things like that. So it's, it's not necessarily cutting it out. I think we're providing a more efficient way to, to manage and access it. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, these ad networks do have a, a pretty big challenge. Um, you know, managing the interests of the advertisers and the interests of the publishers and balancing that is is very difficult. They're very conflicting interests, right? At the end of the day, the advertisers want to pay the least for ad space, and the publishers want to make the most. Right. So what these ad networks today have to do is they have to balance that and find a you know happy medium. To uh, to make them both happy, and I think that's you know that's creating a lot of challenge for them in, in their business. So you know I do I do believe that we can we can help them with that challenge and help the publishers be more successful and help the ad networks also be more successful with their ability to uh, manage advertisers. At the end of the day, the advertisers are the ones that are paying the ad networks and they're their customers. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> So um, some more questions. Then let's say um, I'm a CPA network. So let's say I'm primary ads, and I've got um, I don't know, say 200 offers in my network, and I want to work with with you guys. How do how do I how do I do that? How do I tag them? How do I how many offers do you take? And how, how does that sort of thing work on the case of a CPA network? Well, there's uh, there's two ways. Uh, one is uh, we do have a group that is uh, working specifically with the ad networks to uh, figure out the best way to, to get them involved in the in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, you know, every every one of these ad networks have different technology, different ways that they do business, different ways that they traffic tags. So we take the time to learn that and figure out how they normally work with publishers and we'd we'd essentially mimic that that process. Um, in our products, uh, publishers have the ability to uh, choose certain preferences on the uh, types of ads and the types of networks that they'd like to work with. 
Uh, they can pick them individually, or they could set preferences and let the system pick it automatically for them. Uh, in which case, then, um, you know, the ad networks, whatever information they give us, we'd make that available to the publishers, so uh, so that ad network can be selected to work with the that publisher. Um, at the same time, the networks can also give us uh, certain limitations and restrictions on the publishers that they like to like to work with or like or not like to work with. You have to have certain restrictions on on content. Like some folks, uh, some some networks don't like to work on um, you know, social networking content or user-generated content, as an example. Uh, so once we have that information, um, that's available in the system, so publishers can actually get matched up with these these ad networks. Um, in you know, once once that's established, uh, then as publishers you know sign up and use this, um, we're essentially connecting them to the network, but we're doing all the all the work to you know figure out which which tags to to use, uh, which CPA uh, network tags or offers are performing on certain pieces of content, um, you know, based on that demographic, geographic, and contextual analysis. And so that's so you. Does that answer your question. I think I rambled a little bit. No, so you, yeah, make sure I do understand it. So you kind of go in with a behavioral targeting, uh, some behavioral guessing in the beginning, I guess we could say, and then and, and based on on the tags within a network. And so let's say that guessing then led you to decide that. Um, uh, a debt lead generation offer was the right offer to run, and so then you'll, that'll that'll then start showing from the CPA network. So you'll drive a bunch of debt debt leads until the effective CPM drops, and and then you you may either put something else in from that network if that network has performed consistently on that kind of traffic, or otherwise you'll switch them out, which it could be a some kind of display ad from one of the the, the, the banner networks. That's correct. Right. Hmm. Um, what uh, percentage do you guys take? Uh, you know, we actually haven't uh, committed to a, a revenue model just yet. Uh, what we're planning on doing is taking this thing through our alpha and our beta and having the you know, the publishers see the type of value that they get from the system and, and work very closely with them to, to figure out what that should be. Um, our reaction, though, is to to make it very performance-based and to uh, to take, you know, a little... A little bit of a lot is the best way for me to describe it. Uh, we don't want to really interfere uh, with the way that business occurs today. Um, what we want to do is essentially be kind of like the, you know, the Visa, uh, you know, back-end transaction platform for, for Internet advertising to really make the facilitating of buying and selling advertising between the networks and the publishers much more efficient. Yeah, very similar to, to Visa, they supply technology to retailers to process credit cards, and they supply cards to uh, consumers, um, and they're just facilitating the, the flow of transactions between them, and they take a you know small percentage of of the of the revenue. And as the retailer makes more money, the uh, you know Visa makes more money. And if they don't make money, then Visa doesn't get paid. So uh, that's kind of the model that we're we're looking at, but we haven't exactly you know committed to to a plan just yet. So Visa takes like, I mean, it, it ends up being something like one percent, doesn't it? Are you talking about that kind of number, or, or, or more like, or a bigger number than that? Uh, we're we're looking in the single digit, single digit range. All right. And would there be any fees at all, or is it all going to be commission based? It would all be commission based. So in terms of fees, I assume you mean like a, a licensing fee. Yeah. This is, so basically, a publisher can say, okay. 
Um, everybody's been doing a bad job monetizing my my inventory. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick these guys in and see how it does. And there's no cost; they just stick your tags in, and then they're off and running. That's correct. Yeah, people will be able to come to our website, create an account, um, you know, be up and running, um, you know, that same day within 15, 20 minutes, uh, trying out the trying out the service. And obviously, just like you would with say, uh, just like you would with say, uh, a Google AdSense today. Right. And obviously, international will be a big area for you, and so you'll be filling in your international traffic with these some of these international networks. Yeah. I mean, the, the way the, the system first starts working is it, it's, it's gap-filling and it's cherry-picking. It's looking at where things aren't monetized and, and finding ways to, uh, to fill those gaps and monetize them. It's not necessarily right off the bat about trying to you know, make people compete to make it you know, from a dollar CPM to a dollar five CPM. Uh, there's so much inefficiency and so much uh, inventory that's just not monetized that we can provide a lot of lift to the publishers and, uh, and simply just in, just gap filling. Well, I just need to add in here because I actually wrote an article about this basic concept um, about three or four months ago. So, um, transcriber, if you can make sure it will leave a space and we'll and we'll put this article link in. I, I think what you're doing here is brilliant. <laughs> It's really good to hear. It's a hit. Here's, someone's figured out the, the right way to implement this stuff, and that makes a lot of sense to me. So, oh well, thank you. Uh, so I would say this is one of the, the the best interview I've had this year. So, um, good stuff. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much. We're uh, we're very excited about what we're doing. Yeah, well, I like it. So tell me, it's a, it's a big idea. We're uh, we're excited about it, but um, there's a, there's a lot of heavy heavy lifting to do to uh, to make it work. This this is the idea that you you can sell this one out there, and then you can go and buy yourself an island in the Caribbean. <laughs> well, why would I do that when I could just uh, come visit you? Well, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, came up with the idea. How did we come up with the idea? Yeah, who, whose idea was it? Uh, you know, it was uh, really a, a collection of the, the initial core team um, that we we pulled together when we were looking at the advertising space. Uh, you know, it was really it was really the publishers that came up with the idea. Uh, we went out and we talked to about 100 publishers um, before even committing to, to starting this business, and uh, we just found um, that every single one of them said that it's still too hard for, set, for them to sell their ad space online. And then when we drilled in a little further, uh, we found that uh, many of them were using all these ad networks, and they were managing it with Excel spreadsheets, and uh, they were... Uh, you know, doing very complicated things with their ad servers to to manage it, and you know there wasn't really a whole lot of intelligence behind the process. Um, so you know, just after looking at that and talking to about 100 publishers, um, they pretty much told us what their their biggest pain was, and that's that's where we said, all right, well let's go see if we could take a crack at trying to solve it. So did you, you did you have this general idea beforehand, or did you just say, "Hey, uh, advertising market is hot"? I mean, there's been some fairly good sales happening recently. Let's get, let's talk with some of the old team. Oh, some of those guys are available. Well, why don't we just go and do kind of an informal chat with some publishers and see where the pain points are to see if we can identify something? Is is, did, is that how you went about it, or did you have the idea before you went and talked to the publishers? Yeah, we didn't have a, a preconceived idea of uh, of what the solution would be. Um, you know, back at L90 Ad Monitor, uh, one of the reasons that we were so successful was because we we did focus on the publishers and uh, we we just automated our business and we threw technology at the problem. Um, so we knew we knew that we wanted to focus on publishers and we knew that we wanted to 
create a technology-driven business. In terms of what that end solution was going to be, we didn't have any any preconceived notions. Um, and, and, you know, it's something where we just, you know, we looked at the space, um, saw that the publishers were underserved, and we knew that there was some room for improvement there. But you, okay. And So you knew that there was some kind of a problem in there, and then you decided to go in and... and investigate the further to see if the problem was as big as you thought, finding that it was, um, and then identifying exactly what the publishers told you, then you came up with your solution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not a very smart guy, so all, uh, all six of my, uh, my businesses, um, I just try to find, you know, big markets, because uh, big markets are very forgiving, um, and try to find areas where there's lots of players, and then I just go ask what those... Uh, Ask those players what their their biggest problems are, and that's that's where I start. Um, uh, yeah, certainly, certainly no no brilliance on on my end trying to uh, tr- trying to figure that out. It's just uh, yeah, I find it best to just ask ask the customers what they want, and then give it to them. Yeah. What you're saying here, uh, there was actually. Uh, do you remember the uh, company called Vignette? I do. Yes. Um, I was in a forum where the, the, the founder was talking, and, um, and for those listening, Vignette's a publishing company. I think they've kind of faded now, but they were very big during the late 90s, um, and they, they've helped websites manage their content. And I asked the guy, where, where did the idea come from? And he talked exactly about that point, that they went out and asked the publishers what their biggest pain point was. And they all were saying that, man, it is a pain managing these websites. When you all this Internet stuff, and getting new content up all the time is, is a lot of work. And so Vignette came up and put together a system for managing that. And, yeah, so what you're saying is identify, you identified you identified that there was something there and then you just went and asked a lot of questions about what the exact problem was. Yep, absolutely. And so you, is that been the process behind all of the companies you've started? Uh, yes, all actually except for one. And that uh, one company was a wireless company in 2001. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as you know, in 2001, uh, it was not a good time to to be starting companies, and uh, certainly not a good time to be starting wireless companies. It was a an emerging market that never emerged. <laughs> right. Therefore, there wasn't. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to go ask people, "What do you want?" You know, in terms of uh, wireless applications, because they didn't know. So, in hindsight, is was that a mis- was that a mistake? Is your process now to always make sure you can go and ask people this kind of stuff, or would you still have done what you did then? Yeah, you know, it is. Um, you know, I think there's there are the types of entrepreneurs that that go out and create markets. Uh, you know, like like the YouTube guys, as an example. Um, and uh, you know, more power to them. Uh, it's uh, it's a lot of risk and. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of work to get there, but um, you know, I think the second type of an of entrepreneur is is one that you know finds an existing market uh, with you know existing problems and then just you know, picks some problems to go out and solve. And uh, yeah, my approach has been, I think the the latter. I don't think you know, either one is right or wrong. I think it's just you know just an issue of you know leveraging your skill set and and a risk tolerance comes associated with it. Well, you could, but you you got a potentially. This is not even just a base hit. This is potentially a home run with what, what we've done here. So, yeah. All right. Good stuff. Um, so, some more questions. Um, how'd you get funding? 
How did we get funding? You, you didn't, I, I, I noticed, I guess you didn't go back to Sequoia. Uh, no, we, we actually uh, we raised our first round of funding. Uh, it was a seed round of funding from uh, Clearstone Venture Partners. Uh, Clearstone actually invested in Overture, if you remember, um, and they also invested in uh, companies like PayPal and NetZero and CarPrices.com. Uh, we decided to go with them, actually, because uh, they are right down the street from us. They're here local to us in, in Santa Monica, and uh, that, you know, combined with their experience with Overture was uh, something that we thought was a, a good combination. Hmm. Um, and then another question, uh, this is actually not related to your current company, but um, to your previous one, I just really would like to ask this. You've taken the company public. I mean, so you, were you the CEO when it was public, when it went public? No, I was the, uh, the CTO. How did that work? I mean, we, w- did you get go down on the, the Nasdaq floor, or you know, and I don't know, stand there as it went public? How how, how, did, how did that happen? In in terms of the, uh, the the day that we went public? Yeah, I mean, ha- what what happened on on the day when you went? Public? Oh yeah, I, I, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't personally on the the Nasdaq floor. It was the uh, the CEO and the CFO that uh, that were in New York, and uh, I was uh, back at our headquarters and. In uh, Santa Monica, uh, keeping the business running. All right. What did, what did they do at? I mean, so if they're in New York, where that was, it, did you guys go public on the the New York Stock Exchange? We did. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It was Nasdaq. It was Nasdaq. Did they yes. like in the in the New York Stock Exchange? They get to go and ring the bell and that kind of stuff. Did you get to Did you get to do any of that kind of thing? No. Right. Uh, the company didn't get to uh, didn't get to ring the bell. So what happened? Did they just stand out there and then and then just the numbers start? I mean, was there any any kind of celebration? Did you guys all like have a big party back in Santa Monica? Like, you know, got any stories? I'm I'm interested to hear. You know, interesting enough, uh, the the company was very grounded and very realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we started the company on good fundamentals. Um, we didn't start it with venture capital. Uh, you know, we didn't start it sort of you know chasing the the IPO dream. Uh, we just focused on building a, a great business and, you know, ended up in an IPO. So when the IPO came along, we we really looked at it as, as the beginning and not the end. Uh, so, yes, I mean, there were there were definitely celebrations. Um, we had a celebration the other day of, but it was really not that much different than, than any other company celebration that we'd have. You know, we, had, we had a happy hour, um, but we didn't go out and do anything, you know, super extravagant. And then uh, a little while later, we actually had a, you know, an official IPO party uh, where we brought you know, all the office together from, from all over the world um, and uh, you know, made a night of it. But it wasn't um, – it was funny. It was a little less about the IPO and, and more about just, I guess, uh, celebrating our continued success. It wasn't like you went and got drunk. That makes any sense. You didn't like it was, and jump off a bridge or anything like that. <laughs> you, you got yeah, no, no. I mean, I think it, we just looked at it as just a, another stage or evolution in the business. Yeah. Hmm. That's very mature. I mean, that's because you. I mean, you all must have done pretty well at that point, especially with the markets where they were back then. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely, uh, definitely a good time. Uh, we actually went public on the on the day of the first stock market crash. Oh. So there were some challenges there, and uh, and DoubleClick had uh, filed a patent infringement lawsuit against us the week before. Uh, okay. So it was uh, definitely some some trying times, but uh, we did we still did have a, a successful uh, successful IPO uh, in spite of uh, both of those things. Yeah. Um, and it was again, you know, we just looked at it as uh, another evolution and stage of the business. All right. 
Uh, fair enough. Cool. Well, um, we've talked a lot about your current project. Is there any uh, things you want to tell us about that we haven't covered? I mean, you're, you're looking to hire people. There's obviously going to be a lot of networks reading this. Um, what, what are you looking for? How can people help you? And anything that we haven't covered? Yeah, actually, hiring is, uh, is something that's a huge priority for us right now. Um, we're, we're hiring or trying to hire great people. Uh, the culture of the company is something that's really important to us. It's not just, you know, people with, uh, with fantastic experience, but I think it's people with fantastic personalities that we're looking for. Um, we've got, uh, actually about 15 people that we're looking to hire pretty much immediately. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's a big area of focus for us. Uh, another area of focus for us is, uh, certainly in establishing stronger relationships with the ad networks. Uh, we do feel like we can add a lot of value to them as well if we can work close, uh, more closely together. Uh, and then lastly, of course, uh, publishers. Um, the more uh, publishers, the merrier. We'd uh, like to uh, you know, be able to create as much value for as many publishers as possible. All right. So or any any of those kinds of people that are reading this, so if you're a publisher, an ad network, or uh, um, looking for a job, then they, can, they should uh, get in touch. And I guess they can... They can re- reply to my uh, interview, and then uh, I'll uh, forward their info on to you. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. They can also go to our uh, our website at rubiconproject.com. Uh, we have a lot of uh, information up there, and we also have uh, everybody's email address. So if they wanted to uh, connect uh, with anyone here uh, directly or individually at the company, uh, they can uh, they can do that. We have all of our email addresses posted. Well, that's even better. <laughs> they can go directly. That's that's, that's much better. Cool. Um, anything else you'd like to add in closing? Uh, no, no. I, I, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. You asked some uh, great questions. I think this is a uh, fantastic interview. Cool. Thanks very much. Thank you.